we literally had a revolving door. I, it was an absolute nightmare to the point where I didn't even want to hire anybody anymore. That's Reza Torx today, founder and CEO of Torque Law, one of the fastest growing personal injury law firms in the nation. I knew it wasn't the right fit. I knew culturally it wasn't the right fit. I knew they didn't share the vision or the passion. You know, there was one day got rid of 15 employees. That was more than half of our staff because I had just had enough. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. Today, we sat down with Reza to discuss his entrepreneurial journey and what it's taken to get his firm to where it is today. You know, you gotta definitely check your ego at the door, right? And you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Reza Torx today is the founder and CEO of Torque Law, a cutting-edge personal injury law firm based out of Los Angeles. He's also handled numerous high-profile cases in both state and federal courts and has served in leadership roles and litigations at the national level. But Reza didn't start out that way by any means. I wanted to begin our conversation by hearing his story from the very beginning. My parents fled their home country of Iran uh, when I was two months old in the middle of a, a revolution. And they came to America with hardly anything. They didn't speak the language. They didn't know the culture. And looking back now as a parent myself, you know, my parents were super young. And to be able to pick up, have your lives uprooted, start from scratch with a brand new baby. I mean, I can't imagine how terrifying it was for them. So I got to watch them as we were growing up really struggle uh, in many ways to make the best of their circumstance. And more than anything, I think their hard work, and that's sort of where I think mine and uh, my brother's real commitment to working, working hard comes from is, is watching them struggle, watching them work tirelessly to provide a better life for my brother and I. And, you know, I look at them now and it's like they're living the true American dream right? To be able to come to a foreign land and to provide opportunity and safety and security to your children who then go on to get an education, build successful careers. I mean, for me, that would be a dream for my own children and I can't imagine how they feel. And so a lot of what our core values, our principal values that we believe in at the firm really have to do with working hard, commitment, doing the right thing, all the things that, I, that you know, we watch my parents teach us as we were growing up. Did you always want to be an attorney? I did not want to be an attorney, but I always stood up. And I think this is, you know, really what propelled me to get into law and doing plaintiff's work was I hate bullies. I hated seeing people bully others growing up. And in a way, um, I felt that 
going to law school, becoming an attorney gave me the greatest opportunity to stand up to bullies. Our firm today, we're a 100% contingency fee firm. So most of our clients couldn't have, can't afford us, but we provide the legal representation that is necessary to stand up to those bullies that they're facing. And I'd love if you could speak to that journey, if you will, just basically from not just growing up and, and deciding to become an attorney, but what drove you to ultimately start your firm? Our why at the firm, you know, it took me a long time to realize, you know, what is your core why? Why, why are you doing this? And I realized very early on that the work we do changes lives. So our why is, well, because we get to change people's lives every single day. That case that we're handling for a family who's lost a loved one or somebody who's been catastrophically injured, as a direct result of our work, we're gonna provide them a better future. We're gonna provide them a future with dignity. We're gonna provide them and their families with the ability to recover. But for us, they may not get that. And so realizing the impact that we can have on people, on their lives, on our communities, our work directly impacts all of that. And I can't imagine a more fulfilling career than the ability to wake up every morning and say, I'm going to go out and do good. I'm going to help people, as cliche as that sounds. But if you think about it, what can you do that's more satisfying than waking up every day, being a real life superhero and changing lives for the better? and making our communities safer for the better, making products safer as a result of litigation. And we get to do that every day. And so it doesn't feel like work. It really just feels like, hey, this is what we do. And we're really good at it. Now, I have to ask, because I'm sure there's going to be people that are listening to this and maybe they're rolling their eyes because it all sounds so good. But as, as you and I both know, the entrepreneurial journey is probably one of the most humbling processes that, you know, someone could ever go down. What compelled you to start your own law firm? So like, meaning why not just work as, as an attorney at another firm? Yeah. And, you know, for the first five years of practice, I'll tell you, I had two other partners and the visions weren't aligned for what I wanted and what I saw for the future. And so wherever you may be in your practice or in relationships. I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got somebody that doesn't share the same vision, that doesn't share that same ability to take on risk, and you know, I've always been a risk taker, then I think it really makes it difficult to move the firm forward. And the best decision I ever made was starting my own practice but I didn't make money for the first five years. I mean, literally I did everything from, I was our receptionist, I was our clerk, I was driving around Southern California, signing up cases, trying cases. I mean, I did it all for, for many, many years. And you're right, the entrepreneurial journey, I think it's a, it's a one that the highs are very high and, and the lows are very low. And you have to find that balance that can keep you in the game until you get to where you want to go. But I truly loved what I was doing. I truly loved our clients to the point where, you know, even if I wasn't making money, I truly enjoyed what I was doing. And I was committed to it. I was committed to building a practice based on serving our clients and doing well. And at the same time, trying to grow. And, you know, it did take a while. The first five years were, were an absolute struggle. 
What kept you committed to that? Because like, like you said, I mean, you didn't pay yourself for the first five years, you know, starting a business and really you know, driving around the state of California, signing up cases. Like what, what kept you going? My clients, every client I met with, it's people ask me all the time, you know, do you get desensitized? And it's like, no, I, I never do. It's, it's not like a doctor, an ER doctor who's, you know, seen every trauma that comes in and they're sort of desensitized to it. For me, Every client I meet with, every client I speak with, it's a brand new story. And those feelings are fresh. And you think about it, our clients come to us in some of the darkest times of their lives. And they are coming to us because they trust us, because they believe in us, and they've got nowhere else to go. That's a great responsibility. And we take it very, very seriously. And every case that we accept in the firm, we are 100% all in. I mean, there's no half-assing any of these cases or the clients. And so what drives me are those people and learning their stories and learning their struggles and understanding what life was like before, what life is like now, and hopefully what we can get them for the future. I want to talk about some of the successes that you guys have had, because I know just in the last several years, you guys have obtained over a hundred million in, in judgments and verdicts and settlements and so on. What do you believe it is that you are doing differently? Like what, what does tort law do differently from every other firm? A couple of things. Um, I like to say to the firm and, and most of the staff's probably sick of hearing me say this. I, and I tell them we are a customer service business that happens to practice law. And what that means is the client always comes first, always, no matter what, and so if you think about the client experience, what is it like for them when they call the firm and the receptionist answers the phone? What is that experience like? Are they getting their questions answered? Are you being polite? Are you being respectful? And so I use the analogy of hotel. You can walk into a Motel 6 and you can walk into a five-star Four Seasons. They both do the same thing. They're both hotels, but the experience that you feel inside, what did the Four Seasons smell like? What was the scent that they had? What are the employees like? What are the bed sheets like? And then you look at the Motel 6, right? I like to apply that analogy to the firm because every touch point in the firm, whether it's our intake staff or our receptionists or our attorneys or our paralegals, you are that experience for the client. And a lot of times they just want to have somebody listen. And so I think what's really made us different in terms of our results, because it applies the same way. How are we treating defense attorneys? How are we treating insurance adjusters? Do we want them to say, hey, that's a shitty firm. Let's not settle their cases. Or do we want to say, we want them to say, hey, that is a top tier firm. They will try the case. They do outstanding work. And you know what? They're good guys. They're good people. And so let's help them resolve cases. And so I think it really comes down to what is the experience like with Torque Law across the board? And then as a result, it is 100% total dedication to every case. You know, when you talk about experience, because I agree with you 100%, but there's going to be people listening that feel that that's a privileged situation to be in, to be able to focus on the experience of, of working with the firm as opposed to just providing legal services. But was there an experience that you had or just something you know, in your past where you realized the importance of experience as a competitive advantage? 
Absolutely. I mean, we we all see it every single day yeah, throughout, you know, the moment you wake up till the moment you go to sleep, it's all experiences, right? What is it like when you walk into a Starbucks, right? They put your name on the cup. What is it like when you go to Disneyland or Disney World? What is that experience like? Stores. I mean, now it's hard to go into stores with all the shutdowns, but think about the experiences. Now, if you have one terrible experience somewhere, it could be a restaurant, it could be a hotel, guess what? You're not going to go back there and you're not going to tell your friends to go there. But it is not a privileged position in terms of, hey, yeah, we're lawyers. But beyond just being lawyers, you want to have the investment in your clients and you want them to be able to go out and sing your praises and do a good job. And then as a result, you know, half of our cases are, are coming from referrals from past clients. I mean, that's that's a huge number. And it's because we do really good work. At the end of the day, you know what the client's going to remember. It's not the amount of money you got them, but they're going to remember how you treated them and how they felt. And if they felt good, if they felt respected and understood, then no matter how big or small that settlement, they're still going to come back to you and, and refer clients to you. Reza, I know that now over the years, you can kind of look backwards at a lot of the decisions you've made that have really helped to grow the firm. Was there a particular decision that you feel was perhaps some, one of the most impactful that really caused the firm to take off? There's a couple of pivotal decisions and, and moments that really made a material difference in the firm. I think the first one being is really understanding what the vision was in my head and, and what we wanted the firm to look like. And it wasn't until that happened that then we said, okay, how do we get there? You know, let's step into that future. You know, we want to have a, a, a firm with multiple practice areas, multiple offices. We want to be able to deliver our version of the law in terms of customer service and results to a broader audience, right? And so I think the first thing was understanding what our vision was. And then number two was totally committing to that. And once we did, we looked at what is it going to take to get there? And I think it started with our people is hiring and bringing on the right type of people that shared the vision, that understood it, and also shared this almost like a relentless pursuit to win. I, I tell you, my first hire proved that almost immediately because all of a sudden now I had time to do things that I shouldn't be doing, like opening mail or answering the phone as a receptionist or ordering medical records. You know, I was doing all that stuff. You know, I was always scared to hire, you know, bring people on, you know, that number. Oh, that's a big number. I got to pay this salary. And oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? But when I realized, hey, it's actually going to help us grow. It's going to help us get there faster. And certainly with the right people, right? You could have the wrong people and it, it could be a total disaster. And, you know, we went down that road as well. But I think, you know, total dedication to where you want to go, how you want to get there, and then finding the right people to come on the journey with you. At some point, every entrepreneur learns the importance of having the right people and the right culture to move their business forward. But that's definitely a lesson most often learned the hard way. I asked Reza to speak to his experience of having the wrong people in his organization and what he's learned along the way as he's built up the incredible culture his firm has today. 
you know, the success of our firm where we are today is because of our people. There was a point where we literally had a revolving door. It was an absolute nightmare to the point where I didn't even want to hire anybody anymore. And this went on for a while. It was really terrible. It was the wrong people. It was toxic. It was, it was horrible. And I was really bad about, you know, they say hire slow, fire fast. I was terrible about that. You know, still to this day, I'm terrible at it. That's why I don't do it. But, you know, I would hold on to people for a year, two years when I knew it wasn't the right fit. I knew culturally it wasn't the right fit. I knew they didn't share the vision or the passion. And there was one day I got rid of 15 employees. That was more than half of our staff because I had just had enough. And our hiring, it's, it's interesting because we really had no process on how, how to hire people. And that's how we got all these, the wrong people into the door. And it wasn't until we cleaned house, got rid of the folks that really didn't share that vision, didn't share that culture. And we became a lot more, and thanks to Chris, a lot more intentional about our hiring. And what that means is our mentality before was, hey, what can you do for the firm? Send us your resume. We'll look at it. You know, all, how are you going to differentiate? You've got 100 resumes sitting on your desk. Everybody interviews really well. Everybody has great references. There is no real way to vet potential employees that way. So it was a mind shift in the sense that we went from, hey, what can you do for the firm to, hey, here's what the firm can do for you. Here are the opportunities we can give you. And here's what we believe in. We believe in giving back to the community. And it's not bullshit. It's, it's true. We believe in helping people who are probably in the worst times of their life who are coming to us for help. And so I think when we change that mentality on, hey, here's what the opportunities that the firm can provide you, and then putting in some amazing processes where we could filter out and get a better judge of character, it made a really, really profound difference. Uh, I mean, I, I, I wish we had done this you know, 10 years ago, but today we're where we are because of our people. Our greatest asset, I think, are our people. We wouldn't be where we are. And you know, we've just put together an amazing group of human beings who share the same passions of helping people, of giving back to the community, and doing really, really great work. I love it. I love it. And if you could speak to what took place. So after you, you let go of those 15 employees, what happened next at the firm? Oh, it, it, those were dark days. I, I'll tell you, there, there were days where I would question everything. Do I even know what the fuck I'm doing? You know, what's happening after all these years? Um, it was really tough. But I'll tell you, the, the folks that remained they became as passionate, as energized, as motivated uh, of a group I've ever seen. Because it was, we either sink or swim. We just lost over half of our staff and I wasn't about to go on a hiring spree. And you know, I knew something had to change. So there, there were very, very difficult times, but I watched our entire team come together, pulled out of it and Looking back now, that was the best thing that ever happened to the practice, the absolute greatest thing. And, and in the moment, it was horrifying. It, it was very, very difficult. I mean, I mean, many, many sleepless nights. And then 
I realized that the success of any organization really comes down to its people. And then ultimately that's when we decided, hey, it's time to look at the process of how folks are coming in the door. How would you define the uh, your firm's culture today? Well, it's one driven by integrity, you know, do what you say, say what you do, striving for the win. We're a team of winners, always looking for ways to win. Respect is a big one, whether that's for uh, our teammates or it's for our clients. Respect is huge. And it's a growth mindset. You know, how do we get better? How do we get more efficient? How can we learn more? And I think as a entrepreneur, law firm owner, business person, really your ability to be able to reinvent, you know, I've, we've had to reinvent the firm's processes many, many times. And so I, I think our success even today, it largely depends on our ability to pivot and be able to reinvent how we do things. You know, you got to definitely check your ego at the door, right? And you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And I think one of the greatest uh, assets that we have is our ability to say, hey, look, this is just not working anymore. Uh, This process isn't working. This ad campaign isn't working. These employees aren't working. And to be able to pivot. And and a good example is COVID. When the stay-at-home orders came down, you know, we're a staff of, you know, over 50 people. We had invested previously without knowing into a ton of technology that a lot of people thought was overkill. Uh, We were totally paperless office. We had the ability to have our phone system in the cloud on the cell phone. So when the stay-at-home orders came down, within, you know, that afternoon, everyone was at home working and we didn't miss a beat. So I think it's uh, the ability to pivot, the ability to say, hey, look, it's time to make some changes and be able to do that quickly. Don't do what I did and hang on to the wrong employees for two years before before you get rid of them. So if you had to start over, and and I mean from the ground up, knowing what you know today, what would you do differently? Uh, That's a great question. I, I think I would concentrate more early on on finding the right people to join the firm. I think I would have spent more time, more energy, more resources finding those folks and really investing really intentionally on, you know, are they going to be a good fit? What are they going to be able to do? And then can we also provide them with a role and a career that inspires them? And so, yeah, if I had to start from scratch, I'd say uh, go back day one and, and start looking for the right people to join me. In addition to having a strong firm culture, Raisin learned that it's just as important to monitor the right metrics and have key performance indicators in place to ensure there's team-wide accountability. But how exactly did Torque Law become the data-driven firm it is today? From day one, if I could start all over, I, I would start recording data and As technology has gotten better, as um, we've been able to really track a lot of our key performance indicators, KPIs, we've been able to make really valuable and important decisions based on data, which is the most objective, right? The, The numbers aren't lying. Every week, a report comes out that we circulate to the entire firm that reports every employee's role 
and ranks them in terms of performance for that prior week. And we do the same thing quarterly and we do the same thing annually. Here's our scoreboard, right? And we're going to look up at the scoreboard and see, hey, are we winning? How are the players doing? And where do we want to go? And the data is important because if you see a player in the same role, in the same position, but they are doing half or one third of somebody else, well, you know, it's time for some coaching and time to figure out, hey, what's going on? How come this person is doing five times more than you are in the same week? And the same goes for all the data that we're collecting in terms of marketing, uh, where the dollars are being spent, what the return is, what the venue is, what type of cases are coming out of that. So we've built a system where all of this gets aggregated onto a dashboard. We can flip it on, look at it, and be able to determine, hey, what's working, what's not, where's the money going, where isn't it? And you know, the scary thing is there are lawyers out there that spend more time analyzing the stock market and the companies on the stock market than their own firms. It's the craziest thing. And so you have to know your numbers. You have to know what your average settlements are. You have to know how many cases you're settling in a week, in a month, and who's performing for you. We're a business. We're also a law firm. But from the business perspective, if you do want to scale, you do want to grow, you don't want to end up uh, upside down on investments and people, you have to track this data. You, I mean, you absolutely have to. And I have to ask, I know, I know you worked together with your brother. Um, was he always with the firm? And, you know, and, and what's that like? What's it like working together with him? So it's one of the greatest, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the luckiest man you'll ever meet. And I truly mean that. And one of the greatest honors of my life is being able to have a partner uh, who's also my brother, right? He's been there since the beginning. Now, he's a couple of years behind me, law school and the, and the bar exam. But, you know, he's always been there. He shares the vision. I do. But what greater luck than being able to have a sibling as a partner to be able to duke it out, which we do all the time. And then we'll hug and, you know, it's for the, the greater good of the firm or, or the business or the organization. But there's nothing like the unconditional love of my brother. He's been an incredible, incredible counselor, advisor, and uh, he's, a, he's a phenomenal lawyer. So I, I'm super, super lucky. And, and I know that a lot of people don't have that, but I think one of our, our greatest assets is, is him. And I imagine your parents are very proud of that, just seeing the two of you work together. They are. You know, I, I know that they have so much joy when they see us. Uh, I know that they they recognize that they've they've succeeded as parents when they see us. Now, I know you talked about being very active in the community, and it's and it's truly because you care, not because you feel you should be active in the community. Talk to me about Torquoise Motors. This is one where I've seen the shirts, I've seen the hats. It seems like you guys are very active with that. Yeah, we are. And, you know, it's again, this all sounds cliche, but it's the truth, right? We talk about community. We talk about making our community safer, making them better. And so early on when COVID hit, one of the first things we did is we procured masks, PPE masks, and we started delivering them to local hospitals that didn't have them. And we did that not for any recognition, but it was like, hey, okay, everything's shut down. How are we going to help? How are we going to give back to the community? And so we started doing those things. And so Torque Law Motors spun out of, hey, we're helping the community, but 
we are focused with Torque Law Motors on the motorcycle and auto industry in terms of groups, clubs, and riders. It, it is a very uh, loyal, tight-knit group of folks that are just super passionate about riding, super passionate about cars. In some of our marketing, it became very overwhelming in terms of our exposure to motorcycles. So folks started saying, hey, well, you guys are only handling motorcycle cases. And I said, well, no, not just motorcycle. I mean, it happens to be a lot of our marketing materials, but it's not. And so we spun out Torque Law Motors, which is really almost a lifestyle brand where we support riders, we support that community, we support car enthusiasts, and it's become a social media phenomenon in terms of our own uh, standards because we never thought that we were going to get folks calling us saying, hey, where can I buy these Torque Law Motors shirts? We never thought that we were going to get the response that we get today where we see you know, pseudo celebrities wearing our shirts and posting it on Instagram and then sharing that. And it's been an incredible journey, which connects us to a community that we otherwise would have no connection to, right? Or it'd be a demographic that would be very, very difficult for us to reach. Every single day, we get folks that are contacting us and saying, hey, how can we get involved? And so we've got a lot of things that are going on with Torque Law Motors. We've got a Taco Tuesday every other Tuesday night where riders from all over Southern California get together and just to hang out, show off their bikes and, you know, talk shop, talk bikes. And it's been an incredible, incredible journey. And I think that for us, the real uh, return is having those relationships. And Reza, I'm sure there's people listening and they're going to think that, Reza, what you're saying is that if I just have great people, and if I play an active role in my community and if I, you know, if I work diligently and so on, that I'll be able to be competitive in competitive markets, which I would argue is probably true. Uh, but it's not as easy as it sounds. And I'm curious from your experience, just looking back, like what have been some of the commonalities that you've seen? And just in firms that haven't been able to grow consistently over time that may, you know, may have ambition, but ultimately never reach kind of that level of success that they aim for. Yeah, I, I think. In terms of personal injury, when you talk about competitiveness, it's, it's maybe one of the most competitive practice areas and industries around. And when we first started, we, we thought to ourselves, shit, there is no way we can compete against the TV advertisers. And still to this day, we're not on TV, but there are firms that are spending millions of dollars a month. I mean, how, how on earth can we compete against those guys? The reality is, well, you can't compete in their space. You can't go dollar for dollar and compete in their space. But there are things that we can do today that won't cost that much that can, social media being one of them, coming up with a theme or look, who's going to go follow a personal injury lawyer on Instagram or Facebook? Like, I mean, that just doesn't work. But you can get in front of audiences in, in different ways, in ways that are important to them, in ways that are important to the community. And I think there's a couple of things that hold firms back. Number one, if you want to create barriers, you can. You can build them all day long. You can build them as high as the sky, right? But if you want to truly, truly make a difference in terms of your practice, then you're going to find ways to do that. You have to be able to look for solutions versus saying, hey, that's too high of a wall. I'm not going to climb it. You have to look for ways to reach an audience, to reach a demographic, and you have to be able to say, again, hey, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. This isn't working. Let's try something else, right? 
it, I know you mentioned you were a risk taker. Reza, how do you approach whether it's making investments in your firm or just taking risks altogether? This is where my, my brother, a little bit more conservative, is always pulling me back down. And, uh, I, and I've always been this way. I, I've always been, had the ability to take on risk and not really fall or, or not really shy back from risk, I, I guess I'd say. So as the firm has grown, we've, got a lot, we've gotten a lot more calculated with it because you've got that data. But when you're first starting out, if you're going to be a law firm owner, there is risk involved. And if you're a contingency fee law firm owner, man, you're already a risk taker. And so if you're going to go do an ad buy or you're going to try a new campaign, whether or not you know if it's going to work, uh, number one, if you never try, then you don't know. But it can be calculated as long as you are collecting the data and you understand your own vision and where you're trying to go. And for us, really the, the major risks that we take now are one, our, on, on our employees and our lawyers. And number two is our advertising risk, right? And then still to this day, we run many campaigns that are just not successful. So I think you have to be willing to fail, understand that failure is a part of this whole journey. I fail all the time, every day. But that's just a part of it. And, and I think we have improved because of those failures. But to build this wall because you're afraid of failure or the risk is too high, then I think greatness comes right around that wall, right? Right around that wall is where it happens. And it, it happens to us all the time. But you just have to be willing to come up and, and come up with a plan to get around it and not create these barriers for yourself. Yeah, and I'd say to, you know to echo your your points. When you're when you're committed enough to something, you'll find a way to get there. I mean, just like the example you gave when you know when you had to turn over 15 people, you know, it wasn't a decision to never hire again. I mean, you were still committed to building a great law firm. It just wouldn't be with those 15. Absolutely, and and the other thing I I, I just want to say is I, I think one of the other most important things that that we had and, and I had early on is mentors, having great mentors who've been there before who have as much information as you could possibly want to know because these guys have been doing it before. Um, so having great mentors and then having the key relationships with people in the industry, one of them being Chris, right? Um, one of them being uh, John Morgan, who's been a mentor to me for many, many years. Having these key mentors, I think, have made a incredible impact on the way we do things. And you see these guys who have been practicing for 15, 20, 30, 40 years who are ultra successful and just spending a few minutes with them on the phone, even if you pick up one little nugget or it sparks one idea that you can go back and try to implement into your own practice can make all the difference in the world. And all it takes is for you, you to ask. You know, people ask me all the time, well, how did you, how did you get XYZ? How did you get them to do this? How did you, well, I pick up the phone and I call them and I ask them if they would do it. I mean, you'd be surprised how willing a lot of people are because they see you where they were maybe 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, people are always willing to help. So find really, really great mentors, uh, find great partnerships and relationships that can help you really elevate your game and elevate your organization. And Reza, looking ahead to the future, where do you see the legal industry heading? And you know, I guess more importantly, what does the law firm of the future look like? And I know you got some thoughts on this because uh, I had a chance to read your article literally titled The Law Firm of the Future. 
Yeah, it's something that I'm, you know, I've been following for a long time. I've seen the industry change so many times. And I think, you know, across the country, there's this push to allow non-lawyers to own law firms. I think that's really important to follow. I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I, I think it may allow lawyers and law firms to innovate a little bit faster. I think traditionally law firms and lawyers have been one of the slowest to integrate any kind of technology. And so I think what you'll find in the law firm of the future is one that's driven on data. I think we'll see a lot of barriers come down, maybe not as many lawyers. I don't know. I I saw that the applications to law schools are down 30%, not having as many lawyers. Maybe it's not a bad thing. I don't know. There's couple million PI attorneys just in California alone. But I think you'll see a data-driven, technology-driven, maybe compartmentalization of the law industry as a whole. And Reza, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Having the courage, having the vision, having the relentless pursuit to win and then being able to invent and reinvent yourself and your firm. Uh, You can make one or two decisions within your own organization where you say, wow, that just changed the game for us. And so I think it's a combination of all of those. I want to give a huge thank you to Reza for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated for me was when Reza said that Torque Law is a customer service business that just happens to practice law. And at the end of the day, while clients may forget the exact settlement you got for them, they'll never forget the way you made them feel. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Raise the Torques today, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be looking back at some of the best moments and biggest mic drops from the market-leading law firm owners we've had on the show this season. In the law business, there's two ways to handle it. You can either let your practice run you or you can run your practice. And I'm always on the offensive. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Mm